The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Pray with me. Father, we rejoice to sing that You are God. You are That You sit reigning in the heavens. You fill this room reigning. By Your Spirit, You occupy the hearts of Your people reigning. In every nook and cranny, in every corner of all of Your creation, God, You alone. And we revel in that truth and love to sing it. It is a truth that I love that song. It is not up for debate. It's just the way it is. You are God. We are not. Nothing else is. You are high and holy in charge of all of the world. And You are near and right next to us, closer than our own thoughts are to us. You are within us. We, Your people, join to You. It is a marvelous thing. And I pray, Father, that today You would inhabit the room by Your Spirit and draw us, Your people, yet still closer to You. There is a work that this passage could accomplish in us to give us a sense of relief and a sense of joy based on Your nearness to us. Your gracious aid in our lives. Your sure arms carrying us. If we would just see that, Lord, we would be a different people. And I pray, by Your Spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we would behold it. That we would behold You. God, reigning over the earth and at our side, within us, near. Lord, show us that, I pray. Would You open Your Scriptures? And would You teach us through simple words? Would You draw us to You by an unexplained power? Make us Your people in a different and and deeper way. Make us, this church, a different people. Free us, I pray, free us to rejoice in You with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Bring that to pass, I pray, and use this morning towards that, that Christ would be honored and that we, Your people, would be blessed. Thank You, Father, Son, and Spirit. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Today we come to the last major section of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33. It's another chapter, but this is the last major chunk. And what it is, it's a blessing. The whole thing is a blessing pronounced by Moses, the man of God, which means it's coming from God. Pronounced by Moses on the people of God. A blessing is it's kind of a combination of, sort of a mix of, of prayer and encouragement. A bit of a, God, may you do this for this people and, and people with God like this towards you, would you please respond in this way? Walk in that. Embrace it. So a bit of a combination of that. And that's what this morning is. God through Moses speaking to this people. Moses is about to leave them and he's looking over this whole assembled group and a lot's come already in the past chapters. A lot's come for Moses in the previous decades and, and he leaves them now with a, a blessing. And so we read this, but we are not reading just history. As with all of the Bible, as with all of this book, we've talked about this repeatedly, what we are seeing here is precious truth that is equally applicable to us who have been grafted into Israel. To us, the New Testament people of God who have been included in, grafted into the line of Abraham. And so with Him are the receivers of all of the promises of God. We read of God's promises. They apply to the seed of Abraham, which includes us, if you are a Christian. So there's something marvelous here for us. And and my prayer, my hope, I even prayed this just a little bit just now, is that as we see this and you embrace this, that it would leave you thoroughly happy. Is Is that a light and fluffy word? Happy? If you want a more spiritual sounding word, go for joy. But the text actually says happy. Some of your translations read blessed. Same word. Happy. I'm not talking about something light and and trivial. I'm talking about a happiness in soul that is deep and profound. A happiness in soul that, that is a release of angst and trouble and worry and bitterness. A happiness. A joy, even when, and, and especially when everything else is circling the bowl. It has to matter then, or it doesn't matter. Frankly, everybody on earth is happy when everything's working out exactly like they want it to. Who cares if that's what God offers us? But there's something much more than that. A happiness in the soul that will grip you and can, can hold you when everything else is failing. Because of who God is. I pray, I hope that He would do something in your, in your individual life, but I'm, I'm especially looking at this church, at us as a people. That He would remove from us the earth that is sometimes in us and seems to somehow or another have been knit into the DNA of this congregation. May He rip it out and make us a happy, joyful, released, exuberant 
people. That's where we're going today, I hope. So let me read the passage, all of chapter 33, and then we'll pass back through it to understand a little bit and make some observations. Deuteronomy 33, beginning in verse 1. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at His right hand. Yes, He loved His people. All His holy ones were in His hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you when Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Thus, the Lord became king in Jeshurun. When the heads of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him into his people. With your hands contend for him and be a help against his adversaries. And Levi, he said, Give to Levi your Thummim and your Urim to your godly one whom you tested at Massah, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not, who disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries and those who hate him that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, Blessed by the Lord be his land with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth in its fullness and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers. A firstborn bull he has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And Zebulun, he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountain. There they shall offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. And of Gad, he said, Blessed be he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself, for there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. And of Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali, he said, O oh, Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the lake and the south. And of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. 
Your bars shall be iron and bronze, and as your days, so shall your strength be. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in His majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And He thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. Deuteronomy 33. The text, as you look at it in your Bible, you probably realize that the text is again poetic. Just how it's typeset probably signals that to you. It's poetry again, which means a few things. One thing we've touched on before with poetry is that sometimes the words get a little bit different in our translations because it's hard to know what's exactly meant here and there. Words in poetry aren't always chosen for the exact clarity. They're chosen for rhyming and for rhythm and whatnot, and that's going to come up almost immediately in our translation. That's why I say that at the beginning here. But the the blessing begins in verse 2 with Moses mentioning several different mountains, a general geographic area mentions Sinai and Seir and Mount Paran, places that were mentioned back in chapter 1. So he's kind of closing off things here. Back in chapter 1, he called Sinai Mount Horeb. It's this general region where God came and met with the people and gave them the law. And he describes it there as the Lord dawning, shining forth, coming with His 10,000 holy ones, the angels, myriads of angels. It's a shining. Picture a mountain range, and we can see this around here all the time. We've got the mountains, mountains, and the sun comes up over them, and it's getting light, 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 and then when the sun breaks over, it's blinding. That's God coming with His host of angels It says at the beginning of verse 3, he loves his peoples. Well, here's the translation issue. I'm not going to emphasize that. And I mention this because some will ask. I'm not going to emphasize that because it's just possible that the peoples there are actually referring to the angels. The holy ones are mentioned before. The holy ones are mentioned afterwards. And that's the main subject throughout verse 3, how they are receiving instruction from God and helping him out. That's why I'm not going to emphasize his love for his people there in verse 3 because it just might be angels. But the point that is clear, the angelic host is coming to help God at the point that God gives something to Moses, the law. A special possession for his people. And so, verse 5, in that instance, God becomes king in Jeshurun. Jeshurun, that pet term that we've seen before. It's a term of endearment, like saying honey, sweetie, schnookums. 
It's dear. It's, it's a dear expression. And in that moment when God displaying Himself in a very clear and a very powerful way gives them the law, what's happening is that He is establishing, I am your God. I am King over you. You are my people. Everybody assembled together there. He's making clear His relationship to them and something of His majesty as He shines like that. You remember what Sinai was like. Fire and smoke. Glory. I am your King. That's the first section. And in the second section, 6-25, to this King blesses. The bulk of the passage are obviously 6-25. to is Him walking through the tribes, citing this one and that and giving them different blessings. Now, we're not going to focus on all those particular blessings this morning. I'm going to say a couple things in general about them. I'm going to give most of my, my time to the last section. As we look through the blessings, we notice a couple of general things. First, they're all positive. Sometimes blessings in the Bible have negative things in them because they're working kind of prophetically. They're all positive here. Some of them are related to some specifics about the people and and who they were. We can see, for instance, Levi, a long section about Levi that obviously connects to his duties as priest. They're all a positive blessing, most of them pointing forward. It is as if Moses is standing here and he's looking ahead and he sees them in the land and sees God's blessing on them in the future, carried out across the ages. That's the largest section of the blessing. And then in 26 and following, we get the concluding section, with which with the word Jeshurun kind of ties it back to the beginning. See the flow here? He became king in Jeshurun. Bless the people like this. Oh, Jeshurun. There is nobody like this king. There is no God like him. This kind of God here that we just see, He rushes through the sky to be a help to His people. A God like yours, who is a dwelling place for you, who holds you up with His everlasting arms, who thrusts these enemies out of the land, and so again, looking ahead, He sees, and then makes it so that you dwell in that land safe, alone. Not meaning that they're lonely, meaning that they don't have to share. They have it all to themselves. And all the enemies have been dealt with. They are at peace in the land of plenty. The land of the blessing. Happy are you, O Israel. Turn on that word. It's the same word. Bless. Blessed are you. But I think it's appropriate to voice it as happy because he's already talked about all the blessings. And if I say to you, oh, you are so blessed, what I mean is, man, you are fortunate. You, things are are awesome for you. And, And surely in that there is an emotional response of happiness, joy. Happy are you, O Israel. You are so blessed. You are a people saved by this God who is a shield of help and a sword of triumph for you. Who has delivered you in such a way, placed you in a place of blessing 
Oh, happy are you. That's the text. It comes at this place. We, we kind of got to remember all of Deuteronomy before it. There was a lot that was difficult in Deuteronomy, wasn't there? There was a lot that was, here is the expectation of a holy God. There were long sections of blessing and cursing. There's a lot that's difficult. And at the end here, it just says, oh, what a God you have. Happy are you. That's our context. A blessing that is equally a tribute to a God of blessing. And it should lead to a response in us as we look at Him. I'm going to make two observations about God and about us. Try to tie them together at the end. So let me start with the main subject. And as in all of the Bible, the main subject is a person. Not us. It's God. Always. It might look like most of the text is consumed with, with the different tribes. But who's behind all that? God is. The main subject is, is again and is always God. So here's the first observation. The Lord our God is a uniquely blessing God. Do you think of Him like that? As a blessing God. The Lord our God is a uniquely blessing God. Moses begins in verse 2 with the Lord. And he's setting the stage, putting us before this God and reminding the people of how He came and gave a law. But that's the context of the law. But what follows is blessing. It's all blessing. It has to begin though with Him being king because if He's not king, He's not going to bless His people. He blesses His people. And the blessings are elaborated on throughout the main section, but I'm coming to the end. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time. The weight falls on the end. There is a precious God here who is unique. I don't think I'm going to say anything this morning that you don't already know. The challenge for you is to sit under it. And take it in. There is no one like this king. Oh, precious people, Jeshurun. None. A God who does this sort of thing. Who roars through the sky to be the help of His people who is a shelter for them, who carries them, who delivers them into safety. None like that. Now, every God claims it. That's, that's the business of gods, to claim they are that sort of thing. But no other God does it. Because there aren't any other gods to do it. He is so unique in His blessing, in His power poured out on behalf of His people, and particularly... Notice the particular thing that's emphasized here, dwelling places. Two of them. You see that there are two places of dwelling or living here. 
that God gives to his people. The first one, the obvious one, I suppose, 28, so Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone. That's what he's looking at. He's looking ahead at the land that they're about to cross the river Jordan and go in to conquer. They're, they're going to live in this place. God's going to give it to them. But the second dwelling place is less tangible. 27, the eternal God is your dwelling place. There are two places here that God gives His people to live by His power. By His initiative, He gives you two places. Something tangible, something concrete, but something more. Which one's greater? You know what the right answer is. Which one do you really think is greater? Which one of these two dwelling places is greater? The dwelling place that is God Himself or the dwelling place that is the land? Well, surely, logically, we can think this through. If the one is the reason for the other, He's not going to give them the land if He's not their God. Then this must be the greater one. We don't often think that. We need to work on this dwelling that is God, though, because it is the most significant. It is the most important one. What is a dwelling place? We use imagery like that. What is a dwelling place? It's a place where you live. And being inside that dwelling place provides you benefits that being outside does not. Just think of your house. If you're inside your house, you can control the climate. You can lock the door for security. You can relax and walk around in your underwear and be yourself. You can't do that in the street. You can, but you can't. There's a sense of, when you're home, you, you can be you, safe and secure, different than out there. And he says, the Lord God Himself is that dwelling place for His people. And here's where this connects to you. He is that because He is their King. Which means that we're not just reading about an ancient people that God was the dwelling place for them. The ability to be in this kingdom and under this King under His reign, has been extended beyond just one ethnic people in one time. God has come to earth and in a new king has reached out and is even today knitting together people from every tongue and tribe and nation together with His Old Testament people reigning over them as their king. So you, I'm I'm talking about you, think this through, theologically, think this through. If you are a Christian, if Jesus is your King, Jeshurun, that He is your dwelling place. Which means that you have a place to go. Home. To rest. To be secure. 
to find hope. And it is not directly related to what happens at your job on Tuesday. Regardless what happens at your job on Tuesday, you have that dwelling place. Regardless of what happens in your neighborhood or in your family or at the doctor's office, regardless of that, you have that dwelling place. If Jesus is your King, if you are a Christian, you have a dwelling place. The eternal God Himself is your dwelling place. And because of that, He's taking you to another place. Now, for them, what's He talking about? Obviously, they're standing on a geographic location and they can look across the river at that land. That's the place. We've talked about this, though. That's not the place. It is, but it isn't. It's on the way to the place. But even when they get to that place, the Bible still talks about the opportunity of coming to the place of rest. Even at that point, there is something still in the future. You can sum it all up and call it the new heaven and the new earth. The place where for us what we experience is that verse 28 reality on steroids. Where we will fit, we are physical beings. We, we need a physical place to dwell. And we will one day experience, all the people of God will one day experience living in a place safe. Alone enjoying the bounty of God's creation. And there will be a wiping away of every tear and every trouble and every trial and every threat because all the enemies will have been cast out and destroyed. That place is coming too. Not yet. But that place is coming to you, Jeshurun. You have this place now, and He is guaranteeing you, I will carry you to that place. And in the middle, there will be a war. There is a war between. You have this, you are getting that. There is fighting along the way. Which is why you need a shield of help and a sword of triumph. Which is why you need to be carried by strong arms, everlasting arms. He is that for you because He is your King. And it is by that means that you come to the end. You know this, but I'm, I'm going to go to the second point here in just a minute. And what I hope becomes plain as day to us is the problem in the second point comes from the fact that you don't actually get the first point. And I'm not talking about you, us, we, me. There's nothing that I just said, I don't think, that was new to you. You haven't heard before. But, oh, Jeshurun, would you believe it? Please? For your own happiness? 
for your own joy? Would you believe that? You have a secure dwelling place. And He holds you in His everlasting arms and is a shield that is impenetrable. Nothing strikes you that doesn't come through His hands that are good and wise. And a sword of triumph that guarantees He will bring you one day to a land that is clean of all trouble and evil in which you will dwell with Him, the happy God, forever and ever and ever and ever. Oh, Jeshurun, you are so blessed. Would you believe that, please? Today, Tuesday afternoon, Thursday at the doctor's, Because the second observation is, pretty simply, because of our uniquely blessing God, we are a uniquely happy people. That's where the text goes. Verse 29, happy are you. Uh, The conclusion, happy. Blessed are you. Who's like you? Do you get that? Up in 26, there's none like God. Who's like Him? No one. Well, then who's like you? No one. If this is Him and you are His, there's no one like you. Wow. You are so fortunate. Of all the people on the earth, you are a uniquely fortunate people. Which means you are a uniquely happy people, or at least we should be. The context, of course, again, is the, the mission accomplished com- context. He's got it, he sees it in his mind's eye. It has already come to pass. They dwell safely. They are blessed. And so he says to them, wow, blessed are you, a people saved by the Lord. And we need to understand that in the broadest sense without forgetting the narrow sense. The broadest sense, saved from all these different enemies, saved from all these different troubles, and carried finally to the end, to the fullness of the promise. And He does that for them because He saved them in the narrow sense, made them His people. For us, saved in the narrow sense doesn't involve Sinai, it involves Calvary. He has saved you, people. You are a people saved by this God. Saved. Saved in an impossible situation. Saved from the wrath of God. Saved from the sin and its penalty that is so shot through you, you can't get out of it. And He saved you from it. When He Himself came to earth to become your King. Happy are you. Oh, happy are you. And having become your King, He is your shield and your sword. Happy. You see, you see the connection there? And this, this, is, this right here is the whole sermon. The connection. Who is God? What has He done? He is the God who has become a dwelling for His people and is fighting for them to deliver them safely to the future dwelling. That's who God is and what He has done. 
and the connection, therefore, Israel of God, happy are you. That's, that's the whole sermon. Which you can work backwards and say, if I'm not happy, I've missed this. That's, that's the key. That's the whole thing right there. So I'll ask you, are you happy? And I don't mean, are you happy and everything's going great? When things are just so perfect, when things are going so well that you can't even imagine it being better, you're happy then. Good. How are you when they aren't? And we need to think about this because the reality is that with great frequency, those of us gathered in this room are just as unhappy, just as sad, just as disappointed, just as angry, just as anxious, just as resentful, just as harsh, just as bitter as the people out there who have no connection whatsoever to this God. Perhaps we are better actors or know that we are to be better actors, and so we smile here. Perhaps, but perhaps not. And understand, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, yes, this is poking at you a little bit, but I, I don't want to bust you this morning, you know? What I want to do is call you to something hopeful. You're supposed to not be that way, and you can you cannot be that way. Every single person on the planet wants to not be that way. Everybody wants to be filled with joy. Happy. Able to endure difficult circumstances and remain filled with joy. Everybody on the planet wants that. And gloriously, uniquely, you can be. And are supposed to be. 1 Peter 1, describing Christians. So there's a little bit of a... Because this is not just as a what Christians could be. This is describing Christians. 1 Peter 1 talks about being grieved in various trials. And then comes down and says, describing Christians, though you do not see Him, Christ, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. And full of glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the same thing. Even in the midst of difficulty, even throughout the battle in life, the struggle, the war, even when grieved by these necessary trials, still you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible, full of glory, because you are such a blessed people receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's Christians. So if that doesn't mark your life at all, there's a problem. It's a, it's a mark of genuine faith. True Christianity is inseparable from joy. Some degree, some place. This is not, this Christianity is not a simple cognitive religion of rational choice. 
It is not purely about evidence lifted up by the Holy Spirit, like I was talking about last week, and you say, I agree, I will adhere to that, coldly, with no emotion. Now, clearly, we use our minds to evaluate that. I was talking about this last week. Yes. But once you've evaluated that, if you embrace it and it actually comes into your heart, it does produce joy because it is the best news on earth. And we're made that way to rejoice at good news. So if you think that Christianity is, or if you experience Christianity as if it is a logical, factual, obedient, do the right thing, agree with the right doctrine sense, if you experience it that way, but do not have and do not experience some heart-level joy, some sort of a broken happiness because of Christ, you may be missing Him completely. Joy, in, in some degree, is a part of Christianity. And on the other hand, Christians are still fallen people. We are. Prone to wander. Very easily distracted, confused, weighed down. And while the connection is, this is what God is what He has become for you, what He is for you, where He's taking you, therefore joy. That connection can be and often is broken in our lives. And you detect it by just asking, how am I today? Miserable, worried, bitter, angry, happy and hoping. Even while sorrowing, am I ever rejoicing? Ever in the sense of always rejoicing? Am I or not? And if not, that's pointing a finger at what's going on inside of you. Not what's going on out there. Can we not just agree that what's going on out there is going to be trouble? Jesus promised it. Sure. To different degrees at different times, of course. But what we notice when we, when we look is, I'm off. That's not the problem. Yes, that might be the opportunity for the problem, but the problem is in here. This connection has become severed. I'm walking through life in my frustration or my worry, not fixed on the God who is my dwelling place, who is upholding me with His arms, defending me with His shield, and by the power of His sword is bringing me to this dwelling place. I've lost that. And all I'm looking at are the things in my life that I'm trying to sustain me with that are failing. That's what's going on when you lose joy. Now, please understand, I think I've qualified this, but I need to qualify it again because it's potentially serious. What I am not saying is that when she gets cancer, 
wonderful. That's craziness. You meet somebody like that, take a step back. It doesn't infect you. What I am talking about is when she gets cancer, you... Oh God. And in the broken happiness, you, you deal with both sides of that. The brokenness, the sorrow, the heartache. We do mourn, but not as those who have no hope. We do sorrow. We're made like that. Jesus Himself wept when He saw something wrong in this world. Death. We sorrow. But we deal with that in light of, I have a dwelling place that is not threatened. I am still safe and secure in His everlasting undergirding arms and He is still carrying me on to the fullness of the promise. Through this event. Maybe even by this event. I don't know. I'm not omniscient. But I do know He has not left me nor forsaken me. We sorrow but rejoice. If you notice you're sorrowing, but there is no sense of rejoicing, check your heart. And fight back towards joy. How do you do that? Well, what's, what's the connection? You, attitude following from God and what He's doing and where He's taking me. So you want to fight back to that. Lift those things back up in front of your eyes. Live around other people who will lift those things back up in front of your eyes. And do that before you try to change the environment. I'm not saying that the environment of the circumstances can't be addressed. It, it might be that some, there's a problem out there that's causing you this angst that should be fixed. But fix your heart first. That's where the, the real problem lies inside of you. Come back, hope in, rejoice in Christ, and that will give you even a better perspective to deal with the problem that's out there that needs to be fixed. Attend to your heart. Don't be deceived. That's where the problem lies. Be around other people who think like that too. Who push you towards it. Who will, who will speak over you, verse 26. There is none like God, O Jeshurun. He's for you. And will remind you of that. And will plead with you to embrace it. Will remind you that He is your dwelling place. So what do you do? Briefly. Repent. I say that again, not, not, not to be harsh, but to be honest. Repent. When we find ourselves upset, bitter, angry, worried, fearful, etc., what, what's happened there is we've begun to set our hope on something else, which is wrong, with sin. So repent of that and say, oh God, help me. And come back to His Scriptures and His people and plead for Him to pour His Spirit on you and show you who He is, what He's doing, and where He's taking you.
I encourage you, seek your joy. Seek your happiness by persistently seeking out the presence of God and dwelling in Him. It's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And it happens in the Scriptures by the power of His Spirit amongst His people. Ordinary means. Can't skip those. Scripture, Spirit and prayer, people. Seek Him. Come to dwell in Him with those means in your hands. Consistently fill your mind with the salvation that He has won for you at the cross. Preach the Gospel to yourself. A pattern established throughout this book over and over. Set your eyes on the future that is coming. The fullness of the promised rest is coming to you. He will bring it. When? I don't know. But He will. He's gone to prepare a place for you. He will come back and get you. And take you there. And cause you to live in safety alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens drop down dew forever and ever and ever. And forever and ever and ever you will live in the presence of this One who shines in glory. Who showers on you grace upon grace upon grace. Who has by His own choice made you His precious people. That's who He is and that's what's coming to you. Set your mind on it, Jeshurun. There is none like Him. And therefore there is no one like you. A blessed people. May you also be a happy people. May He make us, this church, a happy people. Do you realize all of the ridiculous stuff that we argue about? Ridiculous stuff. All the stuff that we get like this over. Ridiculous stuff. What a God we have. What a future we have. What a strong shield and mighty sword we have on our behalf today. Rejoice in Him, Jeshurun. Let me pray. God, would You show Yourself to Your people? We cannot walk in joy if we do not see You. So God, I pray, show Yourself to us by Your Holy Spirit in our midst. Would You take Your Scriptures and reveal Yourself, cause the words that are about You to become real, to display to us the God in them. Show Yourself. Lord, I pray that when we get together and pray with other people, when we have 
group meetings, when we have coffee together, when we go jogging together, that You would show Yourself in our conversation. We would be conduits of grace to one another, showing You to one another. Show Yourself, please. Cause us to remember You in the midst of difficulty that we may be happy. Produce in us individually and make us to be a church, I pray God, by Your Spirit, make us to be a church that rejoices with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. You would be honored by that as we, Your people, unique on all of the earth, in, in every country, unique. So we live like that. You'd be honored by it. And we would be so released. So I pray, God, would You bring that to pass, please. A little bit today, a little bit more this week. Set us on a new trajectory and make us a happy people for our good and for the glory of Christ, our King. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.